Well, good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors, and really glad you're with us. Uh, if you are first time, second time guest with us, or if you're coming back in town from being gone from the summer, we're glad you're with us. Uh, if you've been here for a while, uh, however you come into this place, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you don't know, we're nearing the end of our summer series in the book of Galatians in the New Testament. I'm going to preach this week and next week to finish up this series, and we will do a two-week series, August 20th and 27th, uh, on a series titled The Church Gathered and Scattered. And then September 10th is our big fall launch, uh, looking into the new year together, kind of an academic calendar, launching September 10th with a new sermon series in the Old Testament book of Exodus. So I'm excited about getting into Exodus in the fall and uh, launching into our city groups again. And we'll have a big party on September 10th, so be on the lookout uh, for our fall launch, is that September 10th is also the day we'll be moving into two services, uh, a 9 a.m. and a 10.45 a.m. service. So again, welcome uh, and uh, glad you're here. Uh, if you were here three weeks ago, I preached uh, in Galatians uh, chapter 5 at the very beginning, and I stated that in Galatians chapter 5 and 6, Paul, the author of this letter, is very concerned with making his theology, which he's expounded in chapters 1 through 4, very practical for the church in Galatia. And he wants the Christians in Galatia to put the truth of the gospel into practice. So this morning in chapter 5, the chief concern uh, of our passage is how do we grow as Christians? How do we grow? Now, I have to tell you that this sermon started out as one sermon. As I was studying this passage, it turned into two. And so I'm going to preach this same passage twice, this week and next week, with two different emphasis, both talking and, and addressing how we grow as Christians, but coming at it from a little bit different perspectives. And so if you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. This is God's word to us this morning. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever, the prophet Isaiah tells us. Let's pray and we'll jump into this passage. Lord, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that the Spirit of God speaks to our spirit, that you illumine our minds, that you change our hearts, that you call us then to walk uh, and to follow, to keep in step with the truth of the Spirit. And so God, I pray this morning you would remove me so that Christ is encountered, so that the Spirit of God would move in power. Thank you that you're with us. I pray you would change us in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. 
Well, David Brooks is an insightful New York Times columnist, author, and he wrote about the growth of personal character. He wrote, quote, The road to character is the most important thing about you. And he describes this as the willingness to engage in your internal struggle of doing what is right. This is the most important thing about you. And Brooks asked the question, do you see your life with inner confrontation as the central drama of life? How are you engaging with this daily inner confrontation of doing what is right versus doing what is wrong? Jonathan Haidt, an atheist, social psychologist, also an author, writes this, that the greatest insights that the ancient wisdom traditions offer and the greatest recent findings of neuroscience agree on one major thing that every person lives with a divided self. Brooks calls the road to character the inner confrontation of doing right versus doing wrong. And Height says that every person who travels this road battles the divided self. Meaning that we may see the right way, but we choose the wrong way. We may know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. We may want to do something, but we actually do the very thing we don't want to do. Sure sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. Here in Galatians 5, but even more so in Romans chapter 7, if you've read that portion of Paul. Listen to how Paul describes his own internal struggle, his own divided self. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 17. It says, For I do not understand my own actions, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. How have you experienced this divided self? Have you ever felt scattered and fragmented, knowing you need to stop and you need to rest, but you stay busy? You ever felt angry and impatient knowing you should take a deep breath, pray, but you continue in your impatience and in your anger? Have you ever felt a strong pull to the bottle or to that drug knowing you should say no, but you say yes because one more just won't hurt? Have you ever felt tired of trying to climb the ladder of success or trying to make just a little bit more, more money knowing you should change course, but your desire for comfort And for security keeps you climbing the ladder and chasing more money. Have you ever been clicking on the computer late at night, knowing you should just turn it off and go to bed, but you continue to click and it leads to pornographic sites or chat rooms? You've been sitting around with friends and you start talking about a person in particular and slander begins to be the conversation and you know you should speak up, or at least change the conversation, but you remain silent. Maybe you even add to the slander. You ever sense yourself being too critical and too judgmental, and you you think, man, I should speak more words of life, encourage more often, but you continue in your criticalness and your judgment. This inner confrontation in the life of a Christian is vital to understand as we seek to grow as Christians. The battle of the divided self in Scripture is described as the old self versus the new self, or here in our text, as the war of the flesh versus the spirit. This morning, 
I want us to address the reality of this conflict. And next week, I want us to look at how we walk the path of growth. So we're going to look at the reality of this conflict, of the war of the flesh versus the spirit. Look at verse 16 with me. But Paul writes, I, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Two natures at work in every Christian. The Spirit and the sinful nature, which Paul calls the flesh. At every point in our lives, we are living by one of these natures, and we're not gratifying the other. And it may seem like this conflict is a conflict of an internal power versus an external power. The flesh or our sinful nature, our sinful hearts being an internal power versus the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity seeming to be an external power. But our text is clear that both the flesh and the Spirit produce character qualities. Both the flesh and the Spirit have desires, which make it clear that this conflict takes place within us. Two different powers at war within us. So let's look at the two opposing natures that are present within Christians. The first, the flesh. Verse verse 16 says, the desires of the flesh. The Greek word there is epithumia, which in some old translations, maybe if you had your Bible with you this morning, translates it as lust, the lust of the flesh. But I think lust is too quickly associated with only sex. Epithumia literally means over-desire. An over-desire, an all-controlling drive and longing. I think this is very important for, for us to understand because our heart's problem is not so much a desire for bad things as it is an over-desire for good things. Epithumia, the desires of the flesh, is an inordinate, life-ruling, controlling desire, a lust, craving, yearning, greedy demand. Not always for bad things, more often for good things. And verse 18 gives us some reasoning about why the flesh over-desires. Look at verse 18, it says, The spirit is not under the law, but the flesh is under the law. The flesh is under the law, thus it over-desires, because it's under the law. What does Paul mean by that? You have to remember that you've been here throughout this letter paul has been hammering the truth to the christians in galatia that to be a christian is to trust and believe in christ alone by grace alone through faith alone that obedience to the law or adherence to jewish culture does not save you will not redeem you these false teachers these judaizers they are rejecting the pure offer of the good news of jesus grace alone faith alone christ alone And what Paul is saying here is that the flesh, in its over-desire for things, lives under the law, rejects God's grace. Follow me here. When we live according to the flesh, according to our old self, we are attempting to be our own saviors. We're attempting to secure our own future, to provide our own way of life by our own efforts. It can be in your over-desire for your career, or in your over-desire for your family, or in your over-desire for control, or for reputation, or for security. The flesh lives under the law because it rejects the grace of Christ and tries to save our lives and protect our lives through our own efforts. 
Look with me next at the works of the flesh as we continue to understand the flesh. Paul lays out the works of the flesh in verses 19 to 21. This isn't an exhaustive list, but Paul is giving some characteristics of living by the flesh. And some commentators have noted that you can divide the works of the flesh here into four groupings. And so I'm just going to group them and go through them pretty quickly for you. Uh, These are four groupings. The first characteristics of the flesh is sexuality. Look at how Paul lists sexual immorality, which is referencing sexual intercourse between unmarried people. Impurity, unnatural sexual practices or unnatural sexual relationships. And then sensuality, which is an uncontrolled sexuality. The next grouping is religion. Paul says idolatry. Now, this isn't the idolatry of making an ultimate thing higher than God. Paul here is talking specifically about occult and pagan religious practices that come along with what he lists next, sorcery. And then the next grouping is relational. He lists enmity. This selfish ambition, this competitiveness with one another, strife, which is a quarrelsome spirit, jealousy, which can also be translated envy, which is coveting and desiring what others have. And there's fits of anger, rage, outbursts, bad temper. These are four characteristics describing attitudes that destroy relationships. And then the next four, still about relationships, describe the result of these attitudes and relationships, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And the last grouping of the characteristics of the works of the flesh is substance abuse. Paul lists drunkenness and orgies. And those two words are linked. Orgies aren't here, they're not, it's not referencing sexual, but a drinking orgy. This is talking about addiction. Addiction to some substance because of pleasure-seeking or retreating, whether it be alcohol, drug, whatever substance it might be. So all people All of us have the natural inherited flesh at work within us. One nature at work within us that creates an over-desire for things that when you examine your life and the life of a person led by the flesh, you see the characteristics that I just laid out. Let me make a quick side note about the end of verse 21. Look at verse 21. It says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not saying that if you live according to the flesh every now and then, and some of these characteristics are true of your life at times, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that was the case, none of us in here would have any hope. Because if you're honest, you identify with something on that list of the works of the flesh. Christ covers the greatest of our sins. But I do think Paul is warning that if the way of the flesh is the repeated, habitual, most common-lived expression of your life, and there is no repentance and faith in Christ, you may very well not be a Christian. You may very well not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul explains why, if you are a Christian, you will not be habitually controlled by the flesh. Because when a person puts their faith in Christ, not only are they now in Christ, This is what Paul's been expounding in chapters 1 through 4. In Christ, a child of God, loved by God, free in Christ. Paul is now saying that what also is true of you is that Christ is in you. Not only does our status change, we have a new power at work within us. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. There is a new birth 
when faith is placed in Christ, a new birth happens and the residing Holy Spirit takes place within us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of Christ in us, will change us. It will change us. I heard this truth described in the light of two superheroes. Think about Batman and Superman. Or, sorry, Batman and Spider-Man, not Superman. My son loves Superman. Uh, Batman and Spider-Man. Batman, rich, right? Strong, lots of gadgets. Batman's superpowers comes from his external possessions. Spider-Man has a few accessories, but is a superhero because of the spider powers that he obtained when he was bitten by a radioactive spider. His nature has been changed. Spider-Man has a new power now accessible to him within him. Christ in you. The Holy Spirit in you makes you more like Spider-Man than Batman. Something alien has entered you and is changing your nature. If you are a Christian, you will become more like Christ because of the power that has worked within us. And when you examine the life of someone living by the Spirit, you see verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now instead of going into each of those this morning, I want to highlight Paul's choice of imagery. He calls this the fruit of the Spirit. He called the characteristics of the flesh the works of the flesh. He does not call this the works of the Spirit, but the fruit because it does not come from us. It comes from this alien power, the Holy Spirit within us. And Paul is very intentional in his use of imagery. So I want to make a few comments about the use of this imagery. And I take these from John Stott in his commentary and a few from Tim Keller in his commentary. The fruit of the Spirit, or we could call this really growing in Christ's likeness because the, the list of the fruit here is the very character of Jesus. This is who Jesus was and is, right? the fruit of the Spirit. So let me make this first point about Christian growth. Christian growth is gradual. It's gradual. Last week, Timothy talked about Paul's use of farming imagery, planting seed. When you plant a seed, much of the plant's growth happens underground over a long period of time, and then the growth becomes evident above ground. This is often true for growth in a Christian's life, one who's being led by the Spirit of Christ in you. It's not all instant growth. So I don't want you to be discouraged if all of a sudden you're not being changed in every way that you want. God is at work in you. He is changing you. Maybe you've been surprised at times where you've reacted with more patience at something, or maybe you've, you've responded with love towards a person that maybe you didn't respond with love before. And you thought, man, a few years ago, I wouldn't have been this patient or I wouldn't have been this loving. The Spirit is at work in you and is changing you. Holy Spirit growth is gradual. The second thing to note is that spiritual growth is internal. The roots of Christian growth and spiritual change are deep. Right? Think about a tree. The depth and strength of the tree's roots is what calls life and brings forth fruit. Recently, we had a landscaper doing some 
yard work in our backyard, and they were clearing much of the yard using a bobcat, a skid steer, and we had a, a beautiful big fig tree in the back of our yard, and they accidentally dug up some of the roots of this fig tree. And within days, the tree just withered. I mean, it, it died within days. Now, I could have gone to, like, Kroger or Whole Foods and gotten some good figs and tied them onto the tree and hoped and prayed that this tree would come back to life. But we all know that the tree was going to die because the roots were destroyed. True Christian growth comes from deep roots. It's internal. And I think we can fall into believing that certain external gifts or certain external traits are what account for spiritual growth. I encourage you to be careful to equate gifting with spiritual growth. Many people in Scripture, many people in history were used by God and they did not have spirit-renewed hearts. And there are people in the present used by God to do great things for the world and even for the Lord, and they do not have spirit-renewed hearts. Do not equate gifting with true spiritual growth all the time. And be careful not to equate certain traits with spiritual growth. You can look at this list of fruit in verse 22, and every single one of us are, are more naturally strong at one of these kind of fruits here listed. Natural strength, right, is not spiritual growth. Natural strength is temperament. Certain traits or temperaments could be the result of kind of our genetic makeup or maybe because we developed it early in life in our families or maybe it's a trait we learned early on because through this, we can manage life and handle issues and handle conflict in particular ways. Traits aren't always spiritual growth. Let me give you an exa- some examples of this. Some people are temperamentally gentle, just by temperament. People look, oh, so they're so gentle, just like Jesus. Right? Some people seem super happy and super bubbly all the time, and, and you're like, joy joy off this list, and they just may be temperamentally joyful. They're an extrovert by nature. Here's how you can know if a, t- if a temperamental trait is truly bearing spiritual fruit, or I- if it's spiritual fruit or a temperamental trait. And it comes from my third point of this imagery of fruit, that true spiritual growth is symmetrical. It's symmetrical. Paul says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit and then list the characteristics. He does not say the fruits, plural, as I said just a minute ago. I said fruits, and then I was like, ah, that's singular. It's not plural. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Singular word describing the whole list. So it's important for us to understand because real fruit of the Spirit always grows together. You don't get one part of the Spirit and not the others. You don't grow in love and not also grow in gentleness. One fruit growing together. So take the person who seems gentle, and we can attribute that to Christ-likeness, right? That's spiritual growth. But if that person is not also growing in being bold and courageous, which is faithfulness, then that gentleness may just be temperamental niceness. Let me give you another example. Take the person who is happy, who's friendly and bubbly, can meet new people, win over new friends, and we think, man, that's joy. But that same person is unreliable, and they can't keep friends, 
which is faithfulness, then that extroversion may just be temperamental bubbliness. True Christian growth is growing in the fruit of the Spirit. All characteristics growing at the same time because it's one fruit. The reality of this conflict, Christians with two natures dueling it out within us, the flesh and the Spirit, it's real. We've all experienced and encountered it. Right? The things I want to do, I do not do. The things I don't want to do, I do. So the question is, what do you really want? What do you really want? Do you want Jesus or do you want the things of the flesh? And I've got good news for all of us this morning. The good news is that every single person was created to live in communion with God by the Spirit. It's what we were created for. If you haven't placed your trust and faith in Christ, you only have one power at work within you, the flesh. But by faith in Jesus, the Spirit of Christ will dwell within you and give you the heart you were created to live with. For those of us who are Christians, the continued good news is that deep down, what we want the most is life by the Spirit. Though we stumble, verse 17 says the flesh keeps us from doing the things we want to do. You catch that? If we trust Jesus, our deepest selves wants to follow, wants to live by the Spirit. Our call is to, to live from our deepest self by the Spirit's power. Do you remember that old movie, older movie now, True Story Rudy? The movie Rudy, a small, not as athletic football player who walks onto the Notre Dame football team. Y'all seen it? Y'all know this movie? No? Man, go watch Rudy. I'm getting old. Ru Rudy is like five foot eight, walks onto the Notre Dame football team. He ends up making the team. He gets in for a real game. And the reason that Rudy makes the team, and the reason the team rallies around uh, Rudy to convince the coach to let, him to let him get in and play one game is because of Rudy's heart. Rudy had heart. So much heart that his coach looked at the most athletically gifted, most natural and talented players on the team, and he said, I wish I could take Rudy's heart and put it in each and every one of you so you would play like Rudy. Brothers and sisters, by grace and by faith alone, God puts Jesus' heart in you. Christ in you. So we can live like Christ. We have a new power at work within us. This inner confrontation, our divided self is real. There is a battle waging inside of us. So remember, you are in Christ. Your status has been changed. Christ is in you. You have a new power, the Holy Spirit, that is at work and is changing you more and more into Christ's likeness. Amen? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would do just that in the ways that you, all, you know how we all need to be changed. Would you work deep within us? By your grace and by your mercy, would you change us? For those who are here that may not know if they want to follow Jesus, would, would you show them the beauty of Christ? For those of us who believe, but Lord, when we're honest, we, we have to cry, help my unbelief because there are times when the, the flesh wins. 
wins the battle over the Spirit. And so we ask for your spirit, Spirit's power to be at work mightily within us to change us more and more as we depend more and more on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.